I think that one day it will be fixed by modern governments like Botswana government or Rwanda government. And uh, in this case, we can await that new unicorns can be made by Africans, not by foreigners in Africa. Hello and welcome to the Africa Dialogues. I'm your host, Laura Chikonya, and here we explore the big stories and trends transforming the continent today, told by decision makers, thinkers, and doers. Today's guest is Mikhail Lapin, founder at Patreon Kenya, managing partner at the business development consulting company Exotic VC, and author of the Telegram channel about business in Africa, Mzungu Gram. At a time when conversations about doing business in Africa are dominating the information space, there are few people who are doing just that, developing new products and services on what some call the world's most exciting and up-and-coming market. Mikhail successfully launched several businesses in Africa, has expanded their presence to cover several countries, and is now helping other Russian businesses do the same. During our discussion, Mikhail and I touched upon the face of modern Russian business in Africa today, why he chose East Africa as the starting point for his business, why high-level agreements don't always lead to real benefit for businesses working on the ground, and what to know when beginning your journey doing business in Africa. Here's our conversation. First of all, thank you very much for finding the time to be here today and to answer all of our questions. Let's jump right in to the first question. There's currently a lot of talk about the future of doing business in Africa, the expected benefits from the AFCFTA, the African Investment Forum, the African Private Sector Forum, bilateral economic forums with key partners. Yet, what does it mean to do business in Africa today? Sounds like a simple question, but answer can't be so simple because Africa is just like a word. And in fact, we have here around 55 countries, which are more different than similar. We have different history, logistics, traditions, mentality of people, even in one country, different attractiveness for different types of businesses. For example, one business can be good in Zambia and another country can be better for another types of businesses, for example, for digital businesses. And my experience, mostly it's digital businesses because we don't want to invest into capital expenses. We don't want to have actives like branches, houses, apartments. We want to have everything in digital, in like in cloud. And uh, it means that in my case, our audience is mass market type of people whom we name here hustlers, micro businesses. And in that case, we are interested in really mass markets, not for example, not less than around like 20 million people should live in country. Uh, and we have some other requirements for the market. So my experience is very subjective and uh, for another entrepreneurs, it can be fully in another manner. And uh, we chose East Africa countries because it's like similar market with similar mentality. Most people in Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania talks in Kiswahili or Swahili and English. It still gives us a lot of differences. For example, in Tanzania, many people can't understand English. In Kenya, 90, around like 95% of people know English. So all of these markets are similar. We can have a call center in Kenya. 
and it will be enough for three countries with a total population similar to Russian population, 150 million people. And uh, it will be enough to call from one country to other countries. And uh, probably that's why we have chosen East Africa. I like ex-British colonies because they are more consistent than West African countries. Like Tanzania, 60 million people. Kenya, 55. Uganda, 40-45. So it's similar. In West Africa, it's absolutely another thing. There is one huge market named Nigeria, which is around like 200 million people. And all other countries are much smaller. And uh, for example, next one is Ghana. It gives us around like 40 million and the same in Cameroon. All other countries will be with a smaller population, like 2, 5, 10, 15 million. For mass market services, it's not enough. So that's why we chosen these countries. And uh, also I like that ex-British colonies have similar laws, not the same, but sometimes some things can be copied from British law. And it's convenient because you can expect some things about taxation, about licensing procedures and so on. And uh, also these countries have predictable methods of money transfer to country, like capital transfer to, for example, to Kenya from Russia. And extracting of money, if I want to take my my profit from Kenya, it's pretty easy. So Africa is pretty different. We also tried to research north of Africa. I understood that it's very different from all other sub-Saharan Africa. And um, last one, South Africa, it's very inconsistent. We have just one very developed country close to European countries, which is South Africa. And also three main countries like Mozambique. Botswana and Namibia, which are good, probably very developed even sometimes, but uh, the populations in these countries are very small. In Botswana, it's around like two, three million people. So it can't be enough for most types of mass digital businesses. That's very interesting. So you mentioned several factors that affect the ease of doing business, including population, the language that they speak, the stability of the country, of the region as a whole. Taking that all into account, which region in Africa do you think is the best fit for Russian business at the stage of development that we are right now? Around 80% of Russian entrepreneurs in Africa, which I know, they are working in offline area, for example, mining, and it's not crypto mining, it can be emeralds mining or gold mining. Also, we are doing safaris here or touristic business. And for them, Kenya and Tanzania, South Africa is the number one. It depends on the nature of business, not on nationality of entrepreneur, probably. I, as a, an entrepreneur, as a Russian entrepreneur, I just want to work on market with a huge demand, with a small offer of the market, with a lack of competitors. For example, in Kenya, we have just like three, four main competitors. In Russia, it can be like 50 or maybe even 100 of such companies. So I'm getting all of these things in Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Nigeria, Ghana. And uh, I hope that one day, maybe next year or in two years, we will find it in Mali, Senegal, always Sahel region, like Mali, Senegal, Burkina and and Niger, but not immediately because it's a bit hard to work all together in, in all the markets. So for me, this country's main markets because they have enough population, they have predictable law. I know how to get my money from the business if I want. Not in all cases it's safe, 
but it depends on your skills of how to be in safe position in life. So you mentioned um, the local mentality and uh, during his presidency bid, the new Kenyan president, William Ruto, coined the term hustler nation, which you already mentioned, um, referring to the country's youth struggling to make ends meet in a stalling economy. To what extent do his words reflect national sentiment? And do you have any reason to believe that new opportunities and enhanced economic development await Kenya? So Kenya, one of probably three main countries, like flagmanships of Africa, which grows faster than all other. And the international global capital now pays attention to mostly to these three countries. Kenya, one of them, because if you came to Kenya, you can easily start in Tanzania and countries like Uganda and Ethiopia. The infrastructure is similar and so on, I already told it. That's very widely known idea that hustlers are like backbone of Kenya and probably works true. And most of our clients are around like 80, maybe 85% of our borrowers are hustlers. They are getting money for their micro business. It can be not the same business like in your and my understanding, like limited company with a lot of stuff and so on. No, no, no. It can be like I bought a pack of sausages and I'm grilled it on the road and I'm trying to sell it as a fast food to locals or I can sell toothbrushes in my village for example which I bought from AliExpress and it's a business too even taxi driver here is an entrepreneur not a taxi driver and uh, these people need money mostly to continuation of their business because there is a huge jobless rate and if people have no official job they can do something by themselves the situation is changing, based on my opinion. And uh, right now, some Kenyan hustlers are getting huge venture investments from local and foreign investors. I know some people who were hustlers in their past, and today we are getting, for example, 5, 10, 20 million dollars of venture investments here in Kenya. Uh, it wasn't so widely here even like three, five years ago. So these people are developing themselves. And uh, it means that capitalists trust in local hustlers too. So I think, yes, in Kenya, these things like hustlers can really push the country to the better future. When we started to raise venture funding for, for our businesses in Africa six, seven years ago, it was very common uh, opinion that no, I'll no send money to Africa. It's better to send money to, to the moon and in this case, I will save money better and with a higher probability when in Africa, it was like 99% of opinions. I've made more than like 400 interviews with Russian investors and I know what I'm talking. Now we can't invest into Russia. We can't invest in Europe. We can't invest into USA. And also all these markets are overheated. And based on my opinion, Southeast Asia and China are overheated. It's like bloody ocean for investors. What else do we have in the world? Latin America, for sure we have. And another one is Africa. And Africa today is growing in terms of collected venture investments. All other markets have in Latin America and Asia in this year got less venture investments than in previous year. So it continues to grow. So it seems like capitalists can trust any other markets. Uh, and only Africa is here for, for the investments because... Yeah, for sure, it's a growth from scratch and it's easy to grow from small amount to next small amount. But it is what it is, so it's growing.
Russian venture investments from all the invested money in Africa is less than 3%, but it's significant that they invested into Africa today. They didn't make it even five years ago, three years ago. They started just right now. So it's it's a good sign. And also some uh, Russian huge enterprise companies who can't develop their business in Russia now, they paid attention to Africa. They want to open such businesses in Africa. It's interesting to think. Yeah, I'm, it's nice to see developing like how it was in May. I see the changes. So it's really interesting. And you mentioned something interesting that the situation is changing rapidly and you can feel heightened interest as the days go by. Did you see any changes after Russia's so-called return to Africa in 2019 when the Russia-Africa summit took place? Were there any changes on the ground that you noticed? Or was it more of a political statement and a big step, uh, but without any concrete changes that you saw in Kenya? I saw the big document made by Andrei Maslow team. It's a famous Africanist in Russia. And uh, it's very big paper doc. We, it was like more than 200 pages, which describing the results of the summit and different negotiations which were made during the summit. And for me, it was like, yeah, we made the summit. Now we got different roadmaps. And most of his document was about the developing of dozens or maybe even hundreds of protocols between different government organizations. And I respect this job. If stars are lighting, so probably someone needs it. If uh, this doc was made, probably officials need it. But from side of entrepreneur, I can say that my opinion is uh, any entrepreneur starts or not starting the business in Africa or Latin America or any other country, not because of documents were created or anything uh, was negotiated during the summit or something like it. I'm not sure that value of uh, institutions and officials should be really overvaluated. If one million officials did a lot of documents and protocols, but nobody came to Africa, probably there are no businesses in, in Africa in this case. Um, but in, in terms of private businesses, I right now I'm not sure about the current result. As the result of this document made by Andrew Maslow, I remember that it was a call to continue from protocols and documents to real actions, to real steps into direction of business development and real help to businesses. Because if you will try to ask most of Russian official organizations today to help you get contacts of accountants, it's a big problem, or trustful lawyers in African countries, or avoid different issues with work permits, which is fully disaster for entrepreneurs. Nobody will help you. And I, I even don't know such organization. Yeah, if you will be caught in prison in Kenya, for example, for sure embassy of Russia in any African country will help you. But in like normal business activities, which are usual for Africa, for Latin America, for USA, we have no connections, we have no network about it. So it's probably not so simple mechanism. But personally, I have no help from Russian organizations. So probably it's okay. It's like you came to the frontier and you should only trust in yourself. You don't need anybody else's support or help. It's okay. You said something very interesting about the signing of documents, memorandums, agreements between governments. 
and it's at a very high political level. But then, as you said, there's real business that's either being done in Africa or it's not. I would love to hear your opinion about what needs to happen for Russian business to come to Africa. If you need any guarantees um, to that your business is protected in Africa, so probably it means that you are like importing company which are producing something into Russia, and afterward uh, it can be imported in Africa and afterward sold. So I know that some import banks in Africa already have shares owned by uh, Russia or like by central bank. Doesn't matter. So they already have some mechanism for it. So now we have not so many markets which are happy to see us. And Africa is the number one. I, I know that African governments doesn't like that they are depending on foreign software, especially, for example, in cryptography or different office software. And now Russian organization named My Office, which is currently probably owned by Rostelecom. It's like Microsoft Office analog and uh, very, very similar to this one. And uh, it's already popular in some official organizations of Africa. Some schools in several countries already use it. So I think that we need to invest into their start in Africa and they should invest their own money. There's a lot of information about African initiatives to improve the business environment. So everyone's talking about the continental free trade area. In regards to Kenya, there's strategy 2030 with a big focus on special economic zones. What do you think African governments need to do to make it easier for foreigners to do business? Oh, oh good question. I'm not sure about all these programs are useful. I see that in many of African countries, not only in Kenya, there are huge restrictions for work permit getting. And uh, for example, in Kenya, you should pay around like 4,000 for work permit uh, for two years. And you should spend a lot of time to collect all the needed documents. It's a real restriction for experts. Uh, so probably in initial idea, it was like, we will give a job to local employees, but there are no specialists, no managers. So we must pay if we want to start here business, we must bring uh, our own employees from abroad. And it means that we should pay huge money and spend a lot of time for the collection of documents for work permit getting. And it's fully unpredictable process. It can be one month, it can be nine months. Nobody knows when it will be finished and it not depends on the skills of the lawyer. Second thing is about when you should give percent shares of your company to local citizen. For example, I can find nominal shareholder because if I don't need a local person in my operations, a local top manager, I will not hire him. Here we are talking about experts who are bringing the expertise, who are bringing best skill from their countries. So that's uh, what really should be changed. So based on your experience, which issues does Russian business specifically seem to face working in the region? And on the other hand, what does East Africa have to offer in terms of innovation, technology, investment opportunities for foreign business compared to other parts of the continent? Most of Russian entrepreneurs never did businesses in other countries. In many cases, I see that Africa is their first experience. So that gives them a lot of illusions about how to do business because where expectations are based on 
very, very, very specific Russian practice. Some things which are specific only for Russia. And they think that it works in the same manner in all over the world. And that's not true. Another one is that in Africa, there are a lot of very specific marketing and acquisition channels. As I know, in this year, venture capitalists of the world, Africans and European capitalists, they invested around plus 50 or plus like 70% in comparison to previous year. You can't find such growth. Uh, all markets are decreasing now in these terms. So, and interesting thing that um, if in 2019, bigger share of such investments were made by foreigners during the last two, three years, bigger share was made by local investors. So it means that startups, foreign startups, local startups understand that they need local partner to get huge capitalization. Now I trust that I must work with locals if I want to get a real nice result. It's interesting thing. And I guess already the last question of our conversation today, uh, we touched upon M-Pesa and mobile banking which is essentially what lots of people see as a disrupting kind of industry that can improve the lives of normal Africans. My question is, what technology do you think can be disruptive in Africa and have a very uh, powerful social impact and improve people's lives? Yeah, I think about M-Pesa. M-Pesa is based on the old-fashioned technologies from the late 80s or early 90s. So we have a lot of technical restrictions into the core of payment system, which can continue to help to company continue to grow in Kenya. But we must remember that this growth in case of M-Pesa and such and other things like Tigo-Pesa and some analogs, Airtel money and so on. We must remember that it's based on old-fashioned technology and it's based on artificial conditions for such company. Can you imagine that Safaricom has around like 95% of shares of uh, sorry of uh, market uh, of mobile money in Kenya? It can't be uh, a real market situation. It's just artificial situation supported by government for sure. And it's okay. It's just like we just need to remember that it's not a market thing. It's an artificial thing. And it means that one day it will be beaten by better technologies like based on cryptocurrencies or based on more modern mobile payments and mobile solutions. For sure, it can be restricted by central banks of African countries by increased requirements, for example, increased requirements for share capital. If I must have not less than 50 million of share capital, for sure, I will not go to Kenya. So it's like one more artificial restrictions, which we we can give to us but uh, if we want to have competition if we want to have better solutions better services on the market we must give some doors uh, which should be open for these new products for example even now cryptocurrencies in kenya are in gray zone you can advertise it but you cannot be licensed so one day it can be just closed by regulator and it will be fully all of a sudden so i think that um, why? Because there are no, uh, no uh, really a lot of good engineers, local good engineers. So it means that any good solutions will come from abroad. And with a lot of experience which we have from their past, from their uh, evolution chain from their past, because they already saw all these solutions 10, 15, 20 years ago. And we, that's what, how we can beat local players. So I think that 
Yeah, it's it's like a, it's a good question how to balance between modern solutions and really disruptive solutions and avoid competition of local current created companies with the foreign companies who are better in their in their core and their culture and so on. Uh, I mean, like corporate culture. So local markets are already prepared for mobility. They have very huge penetration of 4G and even 5G more than one year in Nairobi. Uh, it's very fast. Uh, so uh, they have a lot of people who use smartphones, like 95% of adult people use smartphones in Kenya, uh, in cities. And um, I think that next thing is uh, that African countries should be like next India. I mean, like Africa will give, I'm totally sure it will give us dozens of millions new developers. Uh, and there is just one gap between this fact and real situation. We need laptops because the percent of laptops is less than 3% in country. I mean, of all the internet traffic in African countries. So it's uh, delaying next step in developing of uh, modern local solutions. So I think that when laptops will be more widely available for locals, when it will be not so if you now want to bring the laptop to many African countries from abroad, you should pay 50 till 100% of extra duties. Can you imagine? Ooh. And it's that's why people have only smartphone, which they can buy from gray market. And uh, they, they have no laptops, which are more expensive. And uh, also internet is very expensive. It's delaying the continuation of growth of Africa. So, um, I think that one day it will be fixed by modern governments like Botswana government or Rwanda government. And uh, in this case, uh, so we can wait that new unicorns can be made by Africans, not by foreigners in Africa. As we gear up for the 2023 Second Russia-Africa Summit, a lot of hope is pinned on the role that small and medium enterprises will play in furthering the partnership. The extent to which we're able to do this will largely depend on well-thought-out policy, an understanding of one another's markets, and perhaps a little bit of trust. Thank you for listening to the Africa Dialogues podcast. We look forward to more conversations about Africa today.